just go to a vision dessert to be with Brian Wren. So um, yeah, sign up. It'd be great. Good to be with you. Happy uh, winter. What's this blue sky stuff? I don't know. It's great. Um, I want to show you a video as we start and ask this question before we show a video. How's your joy these days? How's your joy level? I came across this video. It's a video of a grandmother. She's in her 80s, and uh, she was about to take her first flight. She lives in Denmark, and so her daughter thought, we got to prepare Grandma Ria for her first flight. So in order to do that, we'll put Grandma Ria on her first ever roller coaster ride. <laughs> and this is what happened. Watch this. Meet Grandma Ria. She'd never traveled on an airplane before. So before her first ever flight, to beat her fear, she took to the sky on a roller coaster. That beginning to get Hello, Ria. Something I never ask on a roller coaster ride. <laughs> what does joy look like? What does it look like? The problem is, uh, Apostle Paul, this book that we're studying in the book of Galatians, and if you have your message notes or your phone, you can open up to the U version, notes are on there. Um, he came to this church that uh, these people were a wreck, a train wreck morally. And they came to know Christ and they realized they were rescued by God and they were joyful. And then their joy started getting depleted because joy leaks. Joy gets depleted. Life will do that. Religion will do that. And that's exactly what happened to this church. And so the Apostle Paul, if you see on Galatians chapter 4, this letter is really, he just says, what happened to you? And friends, he uses language that is so forceful. If you read this book, it was the first book ever written uh, as close to the death and resurrection of Jesus, one of the earliest books we have in the New Testament, just 20 years after Jesus lived. And Paul is fighting for something. He is passionate about something. He uses language I can't even use as your pastor. If I read in the original language what he meant today, you'd fire me. It's that passionate. Uh, and he says, where's your joy? What's going on? Something's happened. Your joy's leaked. Why is it that the more religious people get, the less joyful they get? Or even the longer people walk with Jesus, the less joyful they get. Paul is speaking to us. This book is relevant for us. If you feel like I'm losing my joy, I'm exhausted by life, I'm haunted by guilt, the religious formulas just aren't working for me. I'm doing my part. God's not coming through. The book of Galatians is for you. Brian did an excellent job setting it up last week. But I want you to reflect before we even jump into this book. Bottom of page one, what's robbing you right now? What's robbing you of joy? Just think for a minute. Write it down. What's robbing you 
of joy. This book is all about freedom, as you can see on the banners. We want you to see it everywhere, about us being free. Free from what? Free from guilt. Uh, free from fear. Free from the nagging feeling that you're never enough for God. That he's actually disappointed in you. That you never measure up. Here's what happened. Paul planted these churches, I told you that. The gospel took root in the lives of people, and they were actually joy-filled. They weren't Jewish people that came to Christ. They were what we call Gentiles, like most of us, non-Jewish people who'd met Christ. They were joy-filled. They'd been rescued. God really did a work in their lives. And then these Jewish Christians came after Paul. They're called Judaizers. That doesn't mean anything, and you don't need to know that. But they said this. Now, this is really important. They didn't take away from the gospel. Gospel means good news. They didn't take away from the gospel. Do I have your attention? They added to it. They said, that Jesus, that's not enough. That's good, but it's not far enough. And so they opened their Old Testament and said, you need the Ten Commandments with Jesus. And then you need the 600 laws in the Old Testament with Jesus. So it was Jesus plus. And these people's joy evaporated. They went from joy filled to joy less. Religion will do that to you. When you feel like you have to do, 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 you'll never measure up. Or you will in your own mind, and you'll become prideful, pompous, pious, thinking you're better than. That's what happened here. They went from this kind of face to this kind of face. <laughs> that's a religious person. And that's not good news at all. I had a mentor early in my marriage, first month, who took me aside in Nevada where we lived at the time. I still remember it. David Pipe said, Gary, you'll measure your role, the success of your role as a husband, by the countenance in Anne's face, your wife. I will tell how you're doing as a husband by the countenance in her face. And I think you can measure the understanding of a church in grace by the face of its people, by the joy level, by the energy level. Uh, there's a contagious happiness there. And friends, if we're going to live into this vision God's called us to be, it's not going to come by being religious. That valley does not need one more ounce of religion. Most of them have run away from religion. What they need is the good news of the gospel, men and women like you living free in Christ. So Paul writes this letter to remind them of the one factor, the irreducible minimum in life that will give enduring joy. If you find yourself joy depleted, there's one word I want to bring you back to. He uses it 11 times in this book. It's the word gospel. Gospel. Good news. I love the opening five verses. I actually intended to take us through all of chapter one. I couldn't get through the first five verses. And so what I've done is I've put the rest of my sermon in an email form. It will be sent to you if you're on our what we call Gmail list, Gary Mail. 13 years ago, before Google had it, my wife said, you should call it Gmail. And I didn't patent it or anything. Isn't that a bummer? I'm still joyful, though. 
Anyway, if you're not on that, just pull out one of the response cards, write your name and email address, put Gmail on there, and just put it in one of the back offering plates on the back wall. We'll get it to you. The rest of this message comes to you via email. There's just too much good stuff to motor through the first five verses. And Paul unpacks every theme in Galatians in these first five verses. So let's look at it. Open to page two. What is the good news, the gospel that brings joy? Here's what Paul says. I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. I'm sent not from men. I'm not sent by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. And I can just tell you, for every one of you that are in Christ, that are followers of Christ, the same is true for you. You are not a capital A apostle. We don't have those anymore. You are a small A apostle. Tomorrow morning, you've been sent by God wherever you go. I love that we have students here. And uh, in the gym, we have this front row of high school students, like these little zealots in the best way possible. It's so cool. And I'm like, tomorrow morning, Monday morning, you can just know when you walk on Woodside, Sequoia, Carlmont, Sacred Heart, any other campus you walk on, you're not just there to get an education. You're not just there to get good grades so you can go to college and do the formula. God sent you there. You are there to be the aroma of Christ. That's why this vision rests on you more than it rests on me. Because tomorrow when you go, the aroma of Christ is going to be sniffed out all over this state and all over this country as we have people that travel all over the place. You have been sent by God. That will raise your joy. That and that alone. Then it says, he raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters who are with me. Who's he writing this to? I'm writing this to, what's that word I put in bold? Come on, it's open book test. I tell you that every week. Churches, right. These are to Christians. This is not a book for people who don't know Christ. This is for a book for people who do and have drifted into religion. And drifted into thinking, oh my goodness, God loves me more if. If you think God loves you more if, and you have something at the end of that, I, I say this humbly, everyone look right here. And I say it as passionately as Paul does. You don't get the gospel. Not that you don't get to have it, you don't understand it. God will no, never, if you're in Christ, love you more than he does right now. Let me say it this way. Nothing you do makes God loves you more if you're in Christ. Nothing you have done will make God love you less if you're in Christ. This is a book for Christians to remind ourselves of the gospel. Very important there. But we need to go slowly because in these first five verses, there's what I call the pledge of allegiance factor. As a kid, I grew up in Novato, and every day we lined up in our grammar school and made a pledge of allegiance to the flag. I knew and still do the pledge of allegiance. I didn't know what it meant, but I could recite it. There's words in here we've done the same thing as Christians, um, to our detriment, actually. So we're going to recapture some of these words because this is what produces joy. Does anyone else need joy in their lives? Yeah, we all do. Now, let's dive in. Let's take that first word, grace, the unearned, extravagant, transforming favor of God. Grace, he says, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. He'll use the word grace eight times in this letter. Grace, in other words, right from the start. You need joy? Grace. What does grace look like? Uh, so our daughter, and I got permission to say this and share this story with you, is a freshman at the University of Georgia. Uh, she's very homesick and was certainly more so in the fall. 
And so in October, we realized she just needs a remedy of mama's cooking and daddy's loving and all that stuff. And so we booked her a ticket to come home on October 6th. It was my birthday weekend, and she was going to come home really looking forward to it. Uh, unfortunately, we misbooked the ticket, and so she went to the airport. We had it booked for the next day, but we told her the wrong day. And she was holding on four more days, three more days, two more days, took the two-hour ride to the Atlanta airport, goes to the Delta Sky Miles, puts in her card, and it says, come back in 24 hours. She was devastated. She starts crying. And she gets in line, and, and she goes up to the ticket counter, and she's crying. She says, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to get home. I'm a student at Georgia, and my parents live in California. I miss them so badly. And it says I'm here for the wrong flight. Can I just get booked on the right flight? And the man says, well, it'll probably be $200. Let's see what we can do. And he's doing it, and she's crying, and then his eyes get big, and he writes something on a piece of paper and passes it to her because he didn't want to say it because she was a wreck already, and it says $800 to change the flight. So we're talking to her on the phone. I'm like, that's crazy. And so he says, I'm sorry. I, there's nothing I can do. My daughter's at Georgia. I'd do something if I could. Go to that ticket counter over there, customer service. They'll help you. So she's crying, you know, like making a scene kind of crying, going over to the other ticket counter. She doesn't know, but she gets in the Sky Team line, which is for the freaking flyers, and the, like the 100,000 and above freaking flyers. So she's sitting there crying, crying, and it's, she's one away, and she realizes, I'm in the wrong line, and just loses it. So at that point, a man is behind her, and he taps her on the shoulder and says, is, is every <laughs> a stupid male question, is everything okay? <laughs> um, she tells him the story, and he says, oh, you think you have it bad. I'm flying home into a hurricane. We both have it bad. And then she lost it even more, and he goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm taking too long. So she goes, he goes, just go see what you can do, and, and just go to that counter. They'll help you. So she comes up, tells the woman, I shouldn't be in this line. Here's what's going on. And the woman does her stuff and goes, there's nothing I can do, nothing. And we're on the phone and what have you. This man went to the next line, the next person. At that point, he leans over and says to the woman, get her home. I'm covering this. And she looks at him, and he puts, he didn't do it on his miles, he put his credit card down and says, I've got you. She issues a ticket, and she's turning, he says, do you need money for, for dinner? She goes, I'm good. You must have been, she said this, you must have been sent from heaven. And he said, just pay it forward, and then went on his way. That was it. That's grace. And I resonate not just as a father, I resonate because that's my story too that I was in a place I, I didn't deserve to be with no way to get out of it to where I really wanted to be. Spiritually, can you track with me here? Morally, uh, my character, I knew what I was. I knew that I had crossed boundaries and did things I shouldn't do, and my sin nature was just increasing in me, and I couldn't get out of that, and I so badly wanted to, and I was pretty religious even. That, that's a joke, doing stuff for God. And then Jesus stepped in and said, I'll pay the price. I'll get you where you want to be, not just in character and in relationships, but heaven. <laughs> I've got you covered once you die. That's grace. That's what Paul means when he says, grace. Now do you see why he cannot not open this letter with one word and then use it eight more times? Now do you understand why we can never move beyond grace? something that rich, why grace isn't just an entryway into the Christian life, it is everything in the Christian life. 
Oh, but you're taking grace too far. Can you really take grace too far? Let's look at the power of grace. Look at the verse Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Look at what it says. If, if you think you could take grace too far, I would offer you God's word. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to, and these next two words, actually the next word, is very important to our vision. What is the breadth of God's vision? How many people get offered salvation? Say it again, church. Because religious people don't believe that. Religious people think, oh, all except some. Clean up, and then you can be part of the all. Stop doing that, and you can become the all. That's not good news. That's religious news. That's defeating news. That's disgusting news. It teaches us to say, here's what grace does when you get it. It teaches you to get to the destination you've always wanted to get. It teaches you to say no to destructive, ungodly, demoralizing, dehumanizing, uh, relationship-breaking behavior. That's what sin is. And worldly passions. We have, you know, the whole recovery movement is because people gave in to worldly passions. It consumed them, and they just can't get out of it. And to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. You can't take grace too far, church. We don't take grace far enough because we will not become the people God wants us to be without grace. Amen? This should just be a one-word sermon. It's really good. But he goes on. We're only, you know, three words in. Grace and, what's the next word? Peace. Uh, you see the definition there, but you, Paul always puts these two together in every opening of his letters. Every opening. Every letter Paul wrote. And he wrote tons. Why? Because an understanding of grace always leads to peace. Uh, let me ask it this way. Do you have peace with God? Do you know you and God are okay? I'm not asking that to judge you. That's a good question to ask. If you don't, I would just offer you humbly as your pastor, you don't get grace. Because understanding God's grace leads to a life of peace. What is peace? I have some fill-ins for you. It's so important. I didn't want to fill them in. I want you to fill them in. You take responsibility for your spiritual life, okay? Here's, here's the first one. Peace uh, is, well, look at this verse first. Romans uh, chapter 5, we see this word used. Therefore, since we've been, that's kind of a big word. We'll build it out actually next week. Paul uses it multiple times in Galatians 2. Justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be justified? Here's your fill-in, bottom of page 2. Just as if I've never sinned. Just as if I've always obeyed. Just as if I lived like Jesus. Now look, let's just be real. We keep it real here at PCC. We all sin. None of us obey fully. None of us have lived like Jesus. Most of us have lived far from the life Jesus lived. But to be justified is God saying to you, because you embrace what Jesus did on the cross, when I look at you, I see you like I see my son. And my son never sinned, always obeyed, was the perfect human who ever lived. Can you imagine that moment when Jesus finished his mission on earth and he was crucified and resurrected and then the minute he ascended up into heaven, can you imagine that moment when he walked into the throne room of heaven and the Trinity was finally reunited in heaven? Can you imagine the Father's reaction to him? Think about that. 
watching everything you went through? To be justified is to have that same experience every moment of every day as a child of God. When God looks at you, he looks at you the same way if you're in Christ. Come on, that's good stuff, isn't it? It's good stuff. Just as if you never sinned. Just as if you always obeyed. Just as if you lived like Jesus. That's grace. God's never having a bad day towards you if you're in Christ. God's never in a bad mood towards you if you're in Christ. God never wags his finger at you if you're in Christ. We have no condemnation status. That brings a peace in your life. Oh, it's so good. It is so good. The gospel teaches us that we're more lost than we ever could hope for, and we're more loved than we ever dared imagine. Well, he goes on. He goes on. It gets better. Look at the top of page 3. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Wow. That means my salvation's a gift. You can't earn it. That's your fill in there. You cannot earn it. Uh, the only way grace and peace are possible is to be rescued. Tim Keller is a pastor in Manhattan doing an incredible work in Manhattan. It's amazing to see what God's doing there. And he says, he did an observation. He goes, this is really interesting. When he tried to describe the ministry of Jesus, he didn't say he gave himself for our sins. Track with me. To teach us how to be better. He didn't say Jesus gave himself for our sins to coach us along the way. He didn't say he gave himself for our sins to heap religion on us. Do more. No, no, no. What we needed was a ministry of rescue. We were outside of ourselves, and we couldn't get better. We didn't need more teaching. You see a drowning person, you don't see lifeguards going and throwing them a swim manual and walking away. Turn to page 18. No. We need to be rescued. I walked past, and I was involved in some, our, some of our reading stuff, and there's, we need readers at John Gill. There's a table out there. And, you know, it's amazing how Gill has come to us saying, PCC, we need you right now. We need you to come alongside these kids. And those kids are below-level readers, and the need is urgent. Not be, you know what they don't need? They don't need another grammar book. They need someone to come alongside for an hour a week and rescue them just by being present. The same is true with us in Christ. Look, if you think God loves you because you're here at church, I'm a professional Christian. I got news for you. You're, you're wrong. And that's the force that Paul comes out in this chapter. You look at verse 6 of chapter 1. This is in your notes, free of charge. Look at verse 6. Come on, don't look at me. Look at your Bibles. Right after Paul gets through what we're going to talk about, look what he says. I'm astonished. Uh, the word means to be horrified at an experience you never thought would happen. This morning, our devotions of staff, I brought us all back to 9-11 when we first saw the planes crashing into the towers. Remember that emotion and that feeling? It's the same thing that Paul's talking about in verse 6 of chapter 1. I'm astonished. You've turned the ministry of rescue into something that you could take credit for because you're so religious. Astonishing. And he's passionate and he uses words I could never use. And then he says, this is according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. In other words, God wanted this. God isn't bummed 
that he has to spend eternity with his children. He's not kicking angels in heaven going, ah, I wish we had a plan B. No, it's according to his will. And now, this is the last part, very important. To whom? Who's the whom? God. Who's the whom? It's not you. It's not me. It's God out of the mouth of babes. It's God. To him be glory. This is all about God. You want to know what's closest to the heart of God? God. Not human beings. He loves you. But closest to his heart is him. This is for his glory. Okay, so the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am is going on in Pebble Beach right now. Uh, It's the finals today. And imagine Phil Mickelson. I'm not a golfer. The only pastor in America who doesn't golf. (laughs) But Phil Mickelson gets up and whacks a shot. 189-yard hole, and the ball just goes flying through the air, flying, flying, bounces three times, turns around, comes back into the cup, hole-in-one. Place goes nuts. No one would say, that was an amazing ball. (laughs) Praise the ball. (laughs) How it soared through the air, took the current. That guy, that ball did a U-turn and came back. That ball's unbelievable. No, where does all the glory and attention go to? Phil Mickelson. What Paul's saying in that verse is, look, God has teed you up. God has smacked your life in a good way so that your life soars because of the grace and peace of the gospel that comes through Jesus Christ that transforms you. And don't think for a minute it's about the ball. It's about the God who's done a difference in your life. That's what Paul means there. This is about him. Glory to God. So Paul, at the start, this is just an intro to the letter. He's having a worship service. He's going, glory to God. And I was in my study of this going, we need to have a worship service. We're not done yet, but before I pray, we just need to have a worship and sing. And we're in the middle of a worship service. We need to sing right now. And so I want to bring up Joel, and we're actually going to sing the most widely known song in the English language, Amazing Grace. Because that's what this is all about. So get up on your feet, church, and let's sing like we mean it. Grace and peace. God has rescued us. And let's sing amazing grace to the glory of God. Amazing grace, how sweet.
Amen. Be seated. You need to know God in this your last filling is for you, and He desires to show His power and goodness through you. God is for you. He wants to show His power and goodness through you. This is the gospel. This is the good news that changes lives and has for 2,000 years all around the world. One pastor said it this way, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z of Christianity. It should never get old, ever. Yes, grace is messy. Yes, grace will be abused. But give me abused grace over abundant legalism any day. Any day. So Paul would end this by saying in Galatians 1, 6, he'd say this, live. It's in the present tense, which in the Greek language means continue to. Live in the grace of God. And that'll lead to peace. Understanding your rescue, renewing your mind will raise the joy in your life. It'll bubble over where you can't keep it in. Let's pray. I'd like you to bow your head because I want you to concentrate on my words in the next and closing minute. God's grace and peace are available to you right now, right now. And Jesus comes to you right now and offers himself to each one of us. And he doesn't say, get better, be religious. That's not good news. Jesus doesn't say to any one of us, clean up your act. No, this is an offer for everybody, a free gift. But you do have to respond. Turning to God from yourself, receiving the gift of Jesus. Listen very closely. We don't find peace or receive grace or freedom because even we understand the Gospels or these principles. Um, the principles don't have power. Jesus has the power. Jesus is the Gospel. And sometimes the only way to respond is yes. Yes, I don't get it all. Yes, there's a lot of fear. Yes. I don't understand the Bible fully, but Jesus, I'm saying yes to you if this is true. Yes to grace. Yes to peace. Yes, rescue me. Yes, Jesus. Life your way, yes. Have you ever said yes to Jesus? Have you ever renewed your yes to Jesus? I want you to pray with me. If you've never said yes or if you want to renew that yes, pray with me and make these words yours. Jesus, we love you. We don't get it all. Even as a follower of yours for 30 years, I don't get it all. But I get this. I'm a great sinner and you're a better Savior. And so I say yes to you. Yes, I'm opening my life. Yes, step in and make something of it. Yes, here's the mess of my sin and the mess of my broken relationships and broken lives. Yes, I need grace. Yes, I want peace. But more than that, I want you, that relationship that will never, never, ever end. Take me to your intended destination. Thank you. I love you. Pray these things in Christ. Listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.